0: This podcast is the design of City Sites Urban Media, and our goal is to bring into focus the difference between culture and God's ideas found in His Word. To learn more, go to CitySitesUrbanMedia.com.
1: Conscience is a wonderful uh, mystery of the human person, but a very real mystery. But conscience is something that's deep within the human person, which recognizes truth, and sees what is right and what is wrong. In a certain sense it's innate, because every human person has it, but in in another sense, in a subjective sense, it has to be formed. Conscience needs content, input, in order to make judgments based on the knowledge that we have acquired and, and accumulated. So conscience is that mechanism in the human
0: person which judges what to do based upon the way we've been formed personal convictions are personal. And God gives us convictions to be obeyed. And the definition of a conviction is simply this. It is a firm belief, a fixed belief, a certain belief, something you're absolutely persuaded of. And in Romans, for example, in the 14th chapter and the 22nd verse, he says, the faith which you have, have is your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. So, God says, you don't condemn your self for it because that is a conviction he's given you.
1: Sean Morrison is a pastor and the executive director of Good in the Hood, a nonprofit organization that works with poverty in the urban communities. Sean is a thought leader in the Twin Cities and is one of those people you go to when questions arise about spiritual issues. Today, Sean is my guest and we will be talking about the conscience and about the importance of our convictions that we establish as guides in our lives.
2: This is the City Sides Podcast with Larry Kutzler.
1: Sean, I want to talk about conscience today. Sean, you have a good conscience. Isn't that great? <laughs> I hope so. But you have been a, a person in my life that always has been sort of a mentor to me as far as conscience is concerned. You always have something to say about conviction and conscience. So let's just talk about conscience. In your estimation, sure. what is a conscience.
2: If I were looking at it from a definition aspect, I would say it's that internal moral code, it's that thing that tells you or helps distinguish your values, what's what's right what's wrong. I mean, I think that's what I see as a conscience. It's this innate thing that you can uh, determine whether you should do something on a moral level or you shouldn't do something. Maybe it's maybe we call nerve endings in a moral sense.
1: But sometimes it seems like we, some people say, especially for people like uh, mass murders, they don't even have a conscience. Mm -hmm. So are we born with a conscience that is and has that moral fiber to it, like Romans 2 suggests, or what are your thoughts?
2: Yeah. I think so. You know, I see that too and the scripture indicates that and it seems like the average person has that. Certainly though, we've seen in, you know, instances and you reference that people seem to not have that. How does that happen maybe is the question. I believe though that God has placed within us a, a knowledge of the eternal one. Um, he, he says eternity is in our hearts, he talks about in scripture. And, and I think really there is a sense that there is ultimately a right and a wrong. You know, I do think conscience can be influenced and it can be, we can be made reprobate at times is a term that I've often heard growing up even. And, and you don't hear it very often anymore, but it's where there's a hardness that happens, a coldness, and we become sociopaths or, or narcissistic.
1: Well, I know as children, children can lie and they can they can do things that are not right to other children. They don't seem to have a conscience at that point. So in some ways, is a conscience influenced by a learned behavior? You're taught it rather than an innate kind of thing?
2: I would maybe not say it's taught as much as it's matured. I think what I would see is there is a basic conscience, but your environment and those around you, the influences, the culture, all of these things help to further mature it and to, to define it even more precisely. And our experiences have that aspect of it. So, you know, when we're talking about a conscience, I believe it's innate, but I believe it's innate at a very basic level. And then from there, it has to take on maturity. I think scripture certainly would be one of those ways that we mature it. The law was used for that. It talks about, you know, the law is a tutor to lead us to Christ. And well, if it's a tutor, it's a, it's a schoolmaster. It's something that's teaching us. How is it teaching us? It's teaching us about values and right and wrong principles. Certainly, a conscience is not going to tell us every unique thing we should or shouldn't do. I like to use the illustrations like guardrails on a highway. It keeps us from going too far off the road, or at least, you know, you you may still be driving on the shoulder, but as you get closer and closer, you're going to have a sense that you're going to hit those guardrails, and they're going to keep you from hopefully going off the road completely.
1: Well, the Bible uses a phrase called seared conscience. Yeah. What exactly is a seared conscience? And the other second part mm-hmm. of that question, Sean, is is a seared conscience a conscience that cannot be changed
2: or developed? A seared conscience, from my perspective, it's, it talks about in Hebrews that the deceitfulness of sin hardens the heart. And I think that's really talking about somebody's conscience who's been seared, somebody whose conscience has been desensitized, one where, it, in a sense, they get a callus on the heart I play a little bit of guitar I'm not real good but I get a little bit of guitar but when I haven't played for a while I try to put my fingers on the strings and to you know form the chords and it hurts because my skin is become baby soft again and it's become sensitive again when I've played for a certain amount of time a certain thing happens called a callus and it's a hardening of the skin and it desensitizes the tips of my fingers and I can play a lot longer without any pain I think that's what happens with our conscience when we do something to it over and over again. case of the conscience, when we abuse it and step over the line of what's right and wrong, we start to grow a callus on the heart. Another illustration might be a baseball field. You know, they chalk the lines, so you know the difference between fair and foul. If you walk on those lines and cross over them, often enough that chalk gets erased, and pretty soon the line is gone. And that's really, I think, what happens to a conscience is we start abusing it. We start to step on those areas of moral values or step over them. And pretty soon it erases our sensitivities to it. And we actually now get confused and even more than just sin. I think we fall into a a danger place called deception because we no longer have that moral parameter that's very evident. Now we've erased it or we've hardened it. We've lost the sensitivities to it. We go from being one who not only sins to one who actually believes our sin might be right. It's called deception. That's even a more dangerous place because that's when you have become reprobate or seared because you you start to evangelize your new perspective. A person who's had a seared conscience, they don't want to feel bad about it. They're desensitized and they may not feel bad and they may not want to feel bad, therefore they actually indulge and that indulgence kind of causes them to not think about it for a season and they, they go into it further and further. It's almost like a person who's, you know, somebody who's an alcoholic might take a drink and what do they do? They drink more and more to almost anesthetize their guilt. And that's what happens with seared conscience and it leads to deception because then they in order to really satisfy their conscience, they have to justify it or even redefine it and say it's right.
1: Sean, what I have found is uh, in my blog writings, I find people pushing back on me. If I get a pushback, it's a pushback that says, well, you're too hard or you're too negative or you're too this or you're too that. And, you know, I get it. I have a certain Mm -hmm. style that kind of gets to the bottom of the issue pretty quickly and and it's pretty opinionated. I I agree with that. But I do it so people think about what's happening. But that vicious cycle of not wanting to even acknowledge Mm -hmm. your sin or evangelize your sin. I love that thought. So Mm -hmm. is that what's happening in the churches today in some cases?
2: Yeah, absolutely. What's happening in my observation, and again, this is my opinion, but this is my observation, is we have become a shame-based culture. And what happens in that is we start to, instead of having a vertical sense of right and wrong with God and us, we start to let society at a horizontal level dictate our values. And so we, start to go with, I don't want to shame anyone. I don't want them to feel bad. There is some value in shame. Don't get me wrong. I think there's value there. But when it becomes more important than that vertical value of what does God say about it, that's where it gets warped. And so what happens is somebody who's at a horizontal level in shame, they start to redefine things. So they don't want to call it bitter because that's what God calls it and that's wrong and we would have to repent of that. They would call it hurt. And there may be truth there, But what happens is we don't then have to deal with it at the same level, so we don't really then have to repent. We need healing. This is going to sound insensitive to people, but we first, in order to be in the right place, we must first be sensitive to what God says about something. Then we're better equipped, better positioned to actually bring ultimate healing to somebody. Because what happens when we just try to bring comfort to somebody prematurely without having them deal with God, we're putting a Band-Aid over an infection in my opinion. And I think God ultimately wants us to be vehicles that can bring healing to the infection itself, not just cover it, not just anesthetize it, not just take away the sensitivities. In my opinion, what happens ultimately at this level of conscience is we stop feeling at a vertical level. We become what we would might term spiritual leprosy. Spiritual leprosy, meaning leprosy, caused the skin and all that to be infected and the nerve endings would no longer be felt. In fact, I was reading recently a Dr. Paul Brand, he's a Christian missionary who worked with leper colonies in India. And he said this, this is pretty graphic. He said, view lepers, he said he noticed that many of them were missing fingers and toes. And he said some of them got knocked off their bodies because the infection had rotted away their bodies. He said, but a few lepers were missing their fingers and toes and that hadn't happened. And he noticed that there was a common theme at night. He said they would go to sleep and in the morning they would be missing fingers and toes. And he found out that it was rats that were actually eating them off. He said, and the sad thing is the lepers didn't even feel it. Wow. And so he goes, leprosy, he began calling it a painless hell because the feeling was gone. Larry, that's what happens when we harden our heart and our conscience. We become spiritual lepers. We are infected and we don't even feel it. And that's the dangerous thing. So a conscience is very key because if I don't have nerve endings, I'll touch a hot stove and not even realize it. Not only do I not know it, it should be hurting me. I also don't know that it's actually harming me. Hurt is not always bad. Hurt can indicate that you're on a pathway to harm.
1: I love that, Sean, I really do. And I've always said that we have gotten to be more issue-driven today in many of our churches not theologically driven and in order to as you said you know you first got to find out what god thinks about something and that how it filters down into your conscience and into your convictions which is another another thing you've taught me sean over the years and that is convictions to live by your convictions not live by somebody else's convictions but have your own convictions. so how does conviction and conscience work together
2: yeah great question Conscience probably gives you a broader base of what you are permissible to do or what you should not do. I like to say it this way. Conscience will tell me what's the right thing to do or what's the wrong thing to do. Conviction is going to tell me what's the righteous thing to do or the unrighteous thing to do. Conviction is much more precise. You get conviction from the Holy Spirit as he enlightens God's truth to you. And so where conscience is something that can be, number one, it's something innate, but it also can be warped. It can be hardened. Many times people who have a conscience that has been abused, their conscience will become dysfunctional. They'll actually start to have a conscience in a way that's wrong, in permitting them to do wrong things, which is kind of interesting that your conscience can, somehow be trained unrighteously. And that can happen. So, conscience is a moral code about values and a broader, but conviction comes from the Holy Spirit as he enlightens his word to us, as he enlightens truth to us. It's very precise. When God's convicting me over something, whether it be sin or something I I should not do or something I should do, there's no unclarity there. I don't have a lack of clarity in those things. I know exactly what it is. Where a lot of times people confuse it with false condemnation, where there's this general heaviness, this malaise that comes over them, and they feel they just feel guilty, but they don't even know what they should do to change it. They don't have any precise path because it's as if they're just kind of generally a blanket of heaviness over them. We have to remember this. He's the one It says the Holy Spirit convicts our hearts, and he wants us infinitely more than we want it, he wants us to succeed at following his purpose. So he's not hiding his will. So when we're in conviction, it will be very clear. Another way of saying it is he's enlightening us to truth.
1: So give us an example, Sean, in your own life of, say, for example, I mean, you're talking about convictions about doing good or bad or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you also have established what we call convictions, something that you know to be right that you live by. Give us an example of some convictions in your life.
2: Well, there's things that I believe that I am called to do very specifically. That doesn't mean everyone else is called to do it. The easiest one right off the top of my head is when I started Good in the Hood. It was an organization, a nonprofit organization. You know, many people told me that, you know, it really shouldn't be done. You know, that it couldn't be done, shouldn't be done. There's there's all kinds of things. You always have naysayers. But in my heart, I knew the very place that God had put the name of, of the organization in my heart, the strategy larry i could tell you specific things i knew where i was standing when god was speaking it to me i had a conviction and no one could take that away from me you know i had many encouragers too but i had a lot of people who didn't understand it maybe i couldn't articulate it well enough for them to understand it but i had a conviction that i felt was from god that i needed to start this and so i had to push through sometimes barriers obstacles resistance But what held me and grounded me and kept me moving was this conviction that it was from God, that it wasn't just a clever idea. It wasn't something I just conjured up. It wasn't just a new entrepreneurial thing. It it wasn't something I could really walk away from because it's sort of one of those things where you have a conviction. I'm going to use another illustration. I, you know, hopefully love all children and my value and my conscience would require me to Treat all children well. But I have a conviction for the ones that God has entrusted to me as my own. And it's my obligation before God, as the father of these children, to really advocate for them and to really lean into them at a higher level. That might be a good way to illustrate different things conscience and conviction. Conscience is like any child that you're going to treat well, you're going to have a general sense of right and wrong. Conviction is, we're going to see even say it this way, a strong bias towards that which God has specifically put before you.
1: Oh, that's so good. That does illustrate it quite well, to be quite honest. So, Sean, as we draw this to a conclusion today, if you were going to address a room of leaders today Mm -hmm. on the importance of conscience, what would you say that would influence them as leaders on this theme?
2: You know, leaders get a lot of leadership training. So they're always hearing that. and, And you want something that is going to actually make some measure of influence. I think sometimes we sell out for impact. And we miss influence. And so if I'm looking at conscience, I probably am looking less at impact than influence. I want to see the, the tide of what is good in their life raising. And so with that in mind, I'm probably going to talk to them about this. I, I might say begin training, promoting, and behaving in a consistent manner that supports the idea or the question that I would have them ask at every situation is what's the right thing to do. You know, just start training that, start messaging that, put signs up. When I think of what we're doing with Good in the Hood, that is the first question we ask. We ask in every circumstance, what's the right thing to do? So imagine, for example, I'm driving down the road to a meeting to fulfill a program, and I come across somebody who's on the road bleeding. What's the right thing to do? Is my program going to take precedence over people? Or is my value in my conscience demand that I stop and give aid to a person at the expense of a program? And that's a question we have to discern in advance. And so I would begin promoting and training and asking people to behave in a consistent manner that aligns with what's the right thing to do. And the right thing to do would be to stop, help, and then I have to ask the second question, what am I good at and what am I not good at? If I'm not a great medical provider, I need to get medics there. I need to get them there anyway, but I need to make sure they're the ones who have, are given the CPR. They're the ones giving the stopping the bleeding, the direct pressure. So my point is understand what's the right thing to do and then do what you're really good at and make sure you partner or get others there that are better at doing something than you are. That's going to help our conscience, number one, be satisfied and it's going to help us to be useful.
0: David, the king of Israel, is one of my favorite Bible characters. Listen what David wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Psalm number 139. Hear the word of God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any hurtful way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting life. You know what David is praying for? He's praying for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I want you to hear me. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is a gift. David was actually asking God to search his heart and to show him if there was any wrong way in him and to cleanse him of that. One of the greatest gifts that God gives us is the gift of conviction. Because when we open up our heart to let the Holy Spirit speak the truth about ourselves to us and agree with him, we get cleansed. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us, listen, and cleanse us of all unrighteousness so when the holy spirit shows us something about our heart about our thinking that's wrong and we say yes father god save me forgive me wash me cleanse me that conviction becomes the agent of the holy spirit to wash us of that thing so that we can be free from it thank you for joining us today Every Friday we bring you this podcast with interviews with people who are challenging the status quo of Christianity and challenging the cultural norms of our day. Please help us get the word out by sharing the link to this podcast with your online friends and family. Our website also contains other podcasters who are a part of the Citysites network of communicators all sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our website is citysitesurbanmedia.com.
2: This is the City Sites Podcast Network.